This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I'm in the war, and I don't really care if you like me. If you're not looking at your patients' brains, what's the matter with you? Why would you be practicing 1840 medicine? And I'm not kidding when I say that. When Lincoln was depressed in 1840, how did his doctor diagnose him with melancholia? He talked to him. He looked at him. He looked for symptom clusters and then diagnosed and treated him. That is how psychiatric medicine is practiced in 2018, and I think it's insane. A flavor of the provocative interview we have for this week's Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Bowes. Welcome to Llama. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, I should say, if you're listening in the United States, happy 4th of July. In fact, wherever you're listening, I hope you get a chance to kick back, enjoy a bit of downtime this week, maybe take a road trip, which is it's always a good time to catch up with a podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk about your brain, the organ in your body, which, according to my guest, Dr. Daniel Amen, is central to all health and success. He says if you want to optimise your chances of living a long and healthy life, you should start with the health of your brain. Dr. Amen is a double board-certified psychiatrist, founder of the Amen Clinics and a prolific author. His books include Use Your Brain to Change Your Age and, most recently, Memory Rescue, Supercharge Your Brain, Reverse Memory Loss and Remember What Matters Most. Dr. Amen is controversial. Critics in his own profession have suggested his methods lack scientific validity and that his use of a brain scan system known as SPECT for diagnostic purposes is a scam. Well, in this interview, Dr. Amen responds to his critics and explains more about his work. Dr. Amen, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. So nice to see you again, Peter. It's good to see you. And I was going to say right up front that we've met before. You've scrutinized my brain in some detail. And we'll talk about that. But first, what do you understand and what do you mean by brain health? Well, it's the actual physical functioning of your brain. And we we might as well deal with the scam thing right away since you just said it. I was going to get into that in some detail, but go on. So we do a study called Brain SPECT, S-P-E-C-T, imaging. SPECT looks at blood flow and activity. Anybody who says it's a scam doesn't read. Uh, If you go to PubMed.com today and just type in Brain SPECT, you'll get 14 thousand scientific references. Now, I've published 80, and so I'm published, you know, more than most academics, but um, SPECT has been used for dementia, seizures, strokes, head trauma, toxins, and there are literally thousands of scientific research articles on SPECT in psychiatry. Now, I'm a psychiatrist by training, so why do I care about the brain? Uh, Because, you know, most psychiatrists never look at the organ they treat. But when we first started looking in 1991, it just changed everything that I did. I realized your diet's really important to your mental health. Whether or not you've had a head injury is really important to your mental health. And here in the United States, 
We have this crisis of childhood depression and school shooters and nobody's talking about the brain health of the people who commit these terrible acts. We've scanned 100 murderers, including one of the school shooters, and no one's talking about the brain health of the survivors. And so I really joined what you know, I now come to believe is a brainless psychiatry, which – and because of that, it hurts people. It takes us completely the wrong way in let's drug your symptoms but not really understand what's going on. And I know this is about aging. I have a new book, Memory Rescue, that has been out seven or eight months now. And the idea comes from if you want to keep your brain healthy – or rescue it if it's headed for trouble, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And in my psychiatric training, I got trained on one of them. I mean, it's just nuts. But when you start looking day in, day out, like we looked at your brain, when you start looking, it just it changes everything. And that's what I'm so excited about. So I actually don't focus much on the critics. I mean, the noise has been in the background for a long time. We have eight clinics. We do like a thousand scans a month. And our patients are our best referral sources. And that makes me really happy. So let's just backtrack then a little bit and explain in more detail what a SPECT scan is and why you do it. So SPECT is a nuclear medicine study that looks at blood flow and activity. It looks at how your brain works. So it's different than a CAT scan or an MRI. Those are anatomy studies. They show what the brain actually physically looks like. SPECT looks at function. So it's sort of like if your car is having trouble, it makes too much noise, it's stalling, it's smoking. Um, You take it to a mechanic and the mechanic will pop the hood. Well, an MRI is what the engine actually physically looks like. A SPECT scan is, well, how does it work when you turn it on. And we now have a database of 140,000 scans on patients from 120 countries. Um, and it is, is just so helpful. And SPEC basically tells us three things. Good activity, too little activity, or too much. And many psychiatric illnesses go with too much activity. Um, and again, well-published by a lot of other people than me, Um, OCD, for example, people who can't let go of bad thoughts or bad behaviors, um, their frontal lobes work too hard, but not everybody. And that was sort of the big controversy when I started scanning because it was very exciting in the early 90s when I started. There were all-day lectures at places like the American Psychiatric Association. And then the research goes, well, what's the pattern for depression? And they didn't find one pattern. And they go, oh, well, imaging's not helpful. But as a clinical psychiatrist, so that's what I do, I help people. As a clinical psychiatrist, I went, well, not everybody responds to Prozac. Not everybody responds to Wellbutrin. There are many different roads to depression, how would I know about your brain unless I actually looked? But as a general screening procedure, you you talked about perhaps people you could consider to be in extreme risk groups. You've talked about murderers. But for healthy people having a scan like this, otherwise healthy people, what would the purpose be? So when I turned 50, my doctor wanted me to have a colonoscopy. 
I asked him why he didn't want to look at my brain. Wasn't the other end just as important? And what we now know for Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia, they actually start in your brain decades before you have any symptoms. So why is it that the most important organ in the body, um, you can transplant your kidneys, you can transplant your liver, you can and still be you. You can transplant your heart and still be you. You cannot transplant your brain and still be you. Um, so I would argue the brain is really the hardware of the soul. Um, so the most important organ in the body, we do not routinely screen, even with paper and pencil tests. It's, it's nuts when we know if you're headed um, so I was at a big fundraiser event last night and I sat next to Shailene Johnson, who's uh, a well-known fitness person. And she came to see me when she was 46 and she lets me tell this story. And her brain looked terrible. I mean, she's beautiful. Her brain looked awful. And she had a father who has Alzheimer's disease. So at 46, we already saw evidence her brain was going the wrong way. And she just did everything I asked her to do. And two years later, her brain is dramatically better. So why look? If, if you're not having any problems, it helps to know are you likely headed for trouble? And if you are having problems – Please look because how do you know? Is it stress? Is it mold in your house? Do you have Lyme disease? Do you have heavy metal toxicity? How do you know if your brain is headed for trouble if you don't look? And what were the things that you asked her to do that, that resulted in that dramatic change? So um, – Supplements. I'm a huge fan of omega-3 fatty acids, of B vitamins, and certain supplements that boost blood flow to the brain because SPECT is a blood flow study like ginkgo and venpocetine. Hyperbaric oxygen, very – I published a study on soldiers showing it increases blood flow to the brain, no side effects, uh, heal with oxygen and um, completely stopped drinking. She was already an exercise guru, so she did that. And we basically went down the list of the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And in Memory Rescue, since it's a memory book, I came up with a mnemonic for it called Bright Minds. And so, for example, B is for blood flow. Low blood flow is the number one brain imaging predictor of Alzheimer's disease. R is retirement and aging. So we went through each of those and we made sure we're going, well, what are your risks? G is genetics. She had a family history of Alzheimer's disease. So we knew that was a risk. And the intervention for that one is you have to be serious about the other 10. One of the criticisms of you is that you could give the kind of advice that you give and perhaps the kind of advice that you gave me having looked at my brain, which is to eat a, a good, sensible diet, perhaps to – you told me to – suggested I should take up table tennis, which would in, in some ways improve my brain. These are – common sense behaviors, exercise, diet, uh, perhaps even a sort of spiritual sense that you need to relax and spend time with family and, 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 and friends and have a balanced kind of lifestyle. It's good, sensible advice that you might hear from, from any doctor and that perhaps you don't need your brain scanned to tell you that these are potentially positive things for you. 
Yeah, that's ridiculous because how would you know if you didn't look? So I think, yes, of course, everybody should live a brain-healthy life. It's only the most rational thing to do. But if your brain is healthy, you know, whatever you're doing seems to be working. If it's not, well, how do you know what part's not working or what to do specifically? So, for example, um, Oliver North came out. He's now the new head of the NRA. And he said, the problem with school shootings is Ritalin. And so I wanted to write a response um, when Ritalin is the answer. Because if you have low blood flow to your frontal lobe and you have all the ADD symptoms, stimulating your frontal lobes with medications like Ritalin saves people's lives. But so many people who have ADD, this is why Ritalin has a bad reputation. So many people who have the diagnosis, they have the symptoms of ADD, their frontal lobes aren't low that they're in fact high. They're working too hard. And if you put them on Ritalin, you can really unbalance them. They can become irritable, aggressive, even suicidal. I've had many patients like that. I wrote a book a long time ago called Healing ADD about the seven different types of ADD. So do you just give general advice not knowing the underlying physiology of the organ you're treating? Cardiologists wouldn't act like that. Um, gastroenterologists. I mean, no other medical specialty acts like that. And it's why psychiatrists are diminished as a profession. I remember in 1980 when I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I was a second-year medical student. And he said, why don't you want to be a real doctor? And it hurt my feelings. But now, you know, 38 years later, I completely get it, is we don't act like real doctors. To, to be able to say you can diagnose someone based on symptoms alone and treat them is insane. Uh, when every other medical specialist look, we're condemned to guess, and I'm not okay with that, when you have tools. I mean, if you're lost in a forest, wouldn't you want a map? Are you suggesting that – you mentioned your colonoscopy at the age of 50. Is this the kind of preventive intervention that you would suggest everyone should have at a certain age? I think age? so. Absolutely. Um, why does everyone get – because SPECT is not just brain. There are heart studies. There are bone studies. There are lung studies. And many people, especially if they're vulnerable, will get a cardiac or heart SPECT. And it's like, well, why would they – do your heart and they wouldn't do your brain even though your brain is involved in absolutely everything you do. Is it realistic though in the world that we live in to suggest that this could happen for everyone? It costs a lot. It costs, what does it cost? More than $3,000 for a scan? And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. No, it's it's about thirteen hundred dollars in my oh, clinic. So the prices and come down a bit then. 
Well, when you came, a full evaluation at Amon Clinics is about $3,900, two scans, all the testing we do. Um, so, uh, you, you know, I, I don't really think SPECT is going to be the screening tool of the future. We could do cognitive testing. Um, so we have a website, BrainFit Life, where you can actually take a 35-minute test and it'll test 17 areas of cognitive function. I think for people who are vulnerable, the next step is a scan. So if we're looking at we're going we're gonna to screen the United Kingdom, uh, well, let's screen them first with some really good cognitive tests. And anyone who's vulnerable, then I think they should get a spec scan to really get a good look at the physiology of their brain. So I guess in this day and age with money as short, as, um, although it's hysterical, you know, we go, oh, well, you know, this costs money. Well, what does it cost to have Alzheimer's disease? Um, what does it cost? I have a great story of Nancy who was 56 when I met her. I was doing the big NFL study. I think you and I talked about that. And Ray White was her husband. And his wife had just been diagnosed with frontal temporal lobe dementia, 56. And the neurologist said you should find a home for her because in a year she's not going to know your name. And he was very depressed. And when I scanned her, she had frontal temporal lobe dementia. Her frontal lobes looked terrible. And I said if she was my wife and I like my wife, I would do all these 11 things that we talked about. And 10 weeks later, her brain was significantly better. So I have her before and after scans. And now we're nine years later, she still knows his name. So what does that cost? Right? And yes, there was a cost to the hyperbaric oxygen. There was a cost to the scans. There was a cost to the supplements and the medicines. There's a cost to the process. But not as much as one year in a home. And think of the emotional costs to this family. Um, we, we don't have money right. It's, this is an investment. I mean, you know, for goodness, if you go to USC here in Southern California, it's $70,000 a year. Well, wouldn't you want to spend like, I don't know, 5% of that to optimize your child's brain so that he or she could be effective, right? I mean, we have this thing of childhood, teenage, young college depression, and nobody's even thinking about their brains, right? When you hear all the reporting about, oh, teenage depression, they're not talking about head trauma, low vitamin D levels, toxins in the body. Um, and, and that's what I loved about SPECT. It just completely made you know, my whole life go in this, you know, new direction, not of, you know, what was your mother like to you when you were a child, but how's the physical functioning of your brain? And if it's toxic, why is it toxic? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it mold? Is it heavy metal? Is it an infection? All of these things that I wouldn't have had a clue about or would never become passionate about. I know that you've mentioned supplementation, and I hear a lot of pushback from people I interview for this podcast who don't believe that, frankly, we need many additional supplements, that if we eat a, a good balanced diet, we would pretty much get everything we need in terms of vitamins and, and minerals and, and the, as well as micronutrients that we need yeah, to survive so how many every day. people do you know? 
that have balanced diets. Well, when there 40% is forty the- percent of us are obese, so not big boned. Forty percent of us—it's—it's it's a huge crisis. We published two studies that show as your weight goes up, the size and function of your brain goes down. According to the CDC, ninety-three percent of the population does not have five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. We did a study on omega-3 fatty acids. It was like ninety-seven percent of the people we studied had suboptimal levels. Um, you know, why do I have insurance? I have insurance so that in case things go wrong, I'm protected. So I think of a multiple vitamin and fish oil as sort of insurance because I have a really great diet, but I still take them. And when I tested my vitamin D level, so you and I live in Southern But, but let me just stop you there. You've you got a really great diet, but you still take supplements. I do. Because I don't always have a great diet, mostly, you know, probably better than 99% of people. But I have seen omega-3 fatty acid levels. For example, I published a study last year in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. As omega-3 fatty acid levels go lower, your hippocampus, so the major memory structure in the brain, becomes less and less active. And it's so cool. I mean, just divert for the hippocampus for a second. It's Greek for seahorse because they're seahorse-like shaped structures. The hippocampus is one of the few areas in your brain that actually makes new cells every day. So you make about 700 new baby seahorses every day. The environment that I put these seahorses in encourages them to grow and become part of the big hippocampus or die. And brand new study, I didn't do it, but a brand new study that older adults, so I'm 63, compared to my 14-year-old at home, we make the same number of baby seahorses every day. But mine don't stay because the blood flow to my brain doesn't support them. And so doing things like I told you, exercise and table tennis in particular because you had low cerebellar activity. So optimi- – and I would have never known that without a scan – optimizing that. And just more specifically on the table tennis, just explain the the logic behind it. What what does it, as I'm playing and playing frequently, what does that do to my brain? It's activating your cerebellum. And so without scans, I had no idea that 10% of your brain, back bottom part of your brain, cerebellum means little brain. It's the CPU. It's the processor in your brain. And when it's sleepy, either because you had a head injury or you inherited it sleepy, um, it's harder to process as fast. And playing table tennis or doing a coordination exercise reconditions it, it activates it, So, and then it turns on the rest of your brain. It's very simple, right? But it's so good for you and there are no head injuries with table tennis as opposed to football and soccer and skiing and all the other things that people get head injuries from. Just going back to the supplement question, I, I wonder, Andy, I get, <laughs> I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying about you, you've got a great diet, but you, there are reasons why you still take supplements. I wonder if that, give, that kind of message gives people an excuse to have a bad diet and, oh, I'll just make up with a few supplements. You know, probably for some people that might not be that smart because um, ultimately doing the right thing is about love. And, and I don't think people get that. 
people think – like I was at a big fundraiser event last night as I mentioned and some of the food was good and I ate that and some of the food was awful and I didn't eat that. And some people would go, oh, well, you deprived yourself. See, I actually think eating the bad food would be depriving myself of what I really want, which is energy and longevity and um, being able to be on my mission uh, for as long as possible. But until you make that little shift in your mind, um, you won't ever really get well because you'll come at it from a deprivation mindset. Doing the right thing is because I love myself. So I only eat foods or drink things that love me back. I, I don't know about you, but I've been in bad relationships. I'm not doing that anymore. Living and learning. Every day. So let's just dive a little deeper into what you're saying about your food then. What is the good food and what's the bad food? What are the foods that you would say, no, never in a day am I going to touch those foods, even if I've tried them before? What's your, what's your ideal diet? So, you know, I think there are foods to choose and foods to lose. And so I stay away from the controversial stuff, sugar. Uh, I'm just – I'm not a fan. It's pro-inflammatory. It increases erratic brain cell firing and it's addictive. So, no, I don't want to do that. Um, I, I'm really not a fan of dairy. Uh, and the reason I'm not a fan of dairy is 70 percent of us don't have the enzymes to process lactose after about the age of six. And most of it, in the United States at least, is raised with hormones and antibiotics. Uh, so generally not a fan of dairy or wheat or anything raised with pesticides. And, and it's like, well, why do you care about pesticides? Because my gut has a hundred trillion bugs and what do pesticides kill? They kill bugs. And so let, let's avoid those if, if you can, right? I mean, it's not always possible, but if you can. And, and do, do you extend that as some people do to the deodorants that we use and the toothpaste and the soap? And uh, Of course. I mean, you know, when I wrote Memory Rescue, you know, I've been reading food labels forever. Um, I was never reading product labels personal product labels. And I'm really irritated with myself. Um, and when I did the toxin chapter, because tea is toxins in bright minds, um, I'm like, well, phthalates and parabens um, are hormone disruptors. And I don't want anything to disrupt my thyroid hormone. I don't want anything to disrupt my testosterone because, you know, it makes you feel virile and sexual and young and powerful. Um, I don't want to be doing those things. So there's actually an app. There are a couple of apps. But the one I like is called Think Dirty. Um, and you can scan all of your personal products and it will tell you on a scale of 1 to 10 how quickly they're killing you. And so I threw out half my bathroom. <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just for example, soft soap, you know, it's cheap and it smells good. On a scale of 1 to 10 was a 10 on toxin. And suave was also cheap and smells good, was a 5. So which one am I going to choose? And people go, oh, well, that costs money. Not nearly as much money as being sick. And some people would argue that the high levels of cancer – in fact, the New York Post had a headline, cancer, it's your fault. Um, Seventy percent of cancer is driven by the bad habits we have or the environmental toxins we're exposed to. So whatever goes on your body goes in your body. 
and becomes your body. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because I don't want to put things on my body that, that are toxic. And you uh, exercise a lot? I do. This morning I went for a walk. You know, I have a business call every morning at 8.30 and I always do it while I'm walking. And I play table tennis and I lift weights and I do. It's just – it's I make appointments. It's, it's, it's one of the most important appointments I have every day. People go, oh, I'm too busy. I'm like, well, I'm really busy. But I, I want to think right and I don't want to be overweight. I have obese people in my family and I have genes that say I'm likely to be obese. But I'm not because – I don't give in to the behaviors that make it likely so. And you put a lot of emphasis on, you mentioned you lift weights, and I know a lot of people as they get older perhaps neglect that side of, of physical training. But increasingly I hear it is so important for those, for the over 60s, for example, to maintain their physical strength. Right. I mean, we know obesity is bad. The D in Bright Minds is diabetes, high weight and high blood sugar. But as you get older, frailty and being underweight, the obese people have already died. Uh, frailty is one of the major risk factors. So we know hypertension is bad, especially in middle age, but hypotension is bad in older age. So, you know, as we get older, the, the risk for Alzheimer's, obviously, it skyrockets, right? When you're 60, it's about 1%. When you're 85, it's 50 percent. And so the older I get, the more serious I become about brain health. And I mentioned before, I generally consider the key components to help us live a long, healthy life being diet, exercise, and then the, the spiritual side. It doesn't necessarily need to be a religious side, although it is for some people. But the way you live your life and the way you interact with other people and perhaps the way that you put your phone down and you ignore technology f for some time of your life. Do you have – is that component for you important? It's hugely important. You know, when we assess people at Amen Clinics, we always think about the four circles. If I want to understand why you're suffering – so if we take Nicholas Cruz, the Parkland, Florida shooter. Um, if I was to assess him, yes, a scan would be really important. What's the biology underlying his behavior? Because clearly there's a biology to it. But what's the psychology, you know, from being adopted to being teased to growing up in um, a family where he lost his dad and lost his mom? What's the social circle? Who's he hanging out with because you become like the people you spend time with? And then, well, what's the spiritual circle? Um, what is your deepest sense of meaning and purpose? Do you believe you're here by random chance? Do you believe that your life has meaning and purpose beyond you? So, you know, I put it in the form of a cross. So what's your relationship with God, with the planet? with your past. So for me, it's my grandfather who I'm named after and the future, which are my grandbabies. And um, purposeful people not only live longer, they're happier. And when they get sick, they get better faster. And our society has sort of worn out our pleasure centers. You alluded it 
to it with video games, with our phones that are nonstop talking to us, Facebook, the arguing and screaming on news channels. Um, it's that constant stimulation of dopamine, dopamine, dopamine that triggers the pleasure centers in our brain. But the more you trigger them, the more you wear them out, and then you end up depressed. And so I think purpose actually helps your pleasure centers stay healthy. But you never want to overactivate them. At Amen Clinics, we've seen a lot of celebrities who become very famous and then very depressed. It's because they flooded their brain with pleasure, right, all the adulation. But then you need more and more of it in order to feel anything at all. And so they actually get addicted to it, which is why I would never use drugs because I, I don't want to hurt my brain. They scare me. It's funny. I was at church on Sunday and the, the sermon was about don't worry. And I wanted to like throw a tomato at the pastor because I'm like, no. Do you know the don't worry, be happy people die the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. So I want people – I don't want them overly you know, having panic disorders about it. But I want you to be concerned because you're in a war for the health of your brain. So a little bit of worry is good for us. It's essential. Um, I mean just think about it. You don't want to be driving down our freeways at 100 miles an hour in the rain. You want to go. Something bad could happen. Likewise, when you're at a big buffet, you want to go, I need to be careful here because if I overdo this, that's going to hurt me. Well, I just sometimes liken a little bit of worry to forward planning. Which is Thinking essential. Ahead. Which is why as a race or as a species – you know, we've made such progress because we woke up in the morning and went, is something going to eat me today? <laughs> now, we've touched on it. We've talked about technology and video games and that kind of thing and the potential damage it's doing. I'm wondering in, in your work and looking at people's brains, have you noticed, can you correlate the increased use of, of these devices and the way we live our lives, the obsessive way that, I mean, you just walk down the street, you see people looking at their phones and not looking at it as they cross the road, the potential dangers there. But have you noticed from a clinical perspective what it's doing to us? Yes, there's a much higher incidence of depression. There's also a much higher incidence of obesity um, because you're not outside anymore. You're inside. In fact, there is one study that just horrified me. They looked at the difference in the brain of your thumb representation and has actually grown larger over the last 30 years, you know, as we use our thumbs over and over to type on our phones or play video games. And we don't need a larger thumb representation in our brain. I mean, perhaps if we were a chimpanzee and we're going through trees, we would need that, but not now. Let me ask you, as you grow older, uh, does your attitude towards your own longevity, does it change? Or obviously, you think about it a lot, and, and especially with your line of work. But I'm wondering how you view your own future, whether you have aspirations, whether you have particular goals in mind. Well, I want to outlive my critics. So <laughs> because it's just so obvious to me that, of course, Psychiatrists should act like real doctors and actually image the organ they treat just like everybody else. And, you know, and I feel so blessed. Uh, we had a video go viral uh, in November. It's got nearly 40 million views. And I tell the story of my nephew. I don't know if we talked about that, but 1995. I think we did, yeah. attacked a little girl on the baseball field for no particular reason. 
and 999 psychiatrists out of 1,000 would have put him on medicine or put him in therapy. And my first thought is I have to look at his brain. And he had a cyst the size of a golf ball occupying the space. And when we took it out, his behavior completely went back to normal. And last year he got married. And I mean he's just doing fabulous. And I want this message to spread. And uh, so that's my sense of purpose um, and why I want to do the right thing because I'm not done. Plus, I love my wife. I love my babies. I love my grandbabies. Um, yeah, I want to be here. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're all going to die. I mean, there's an article in the paper. One of my friends, Dave Asprey, said he wants to. He's planning on living to 180. You know, and I'm not sure I want to do that, right? There is a 125-year-old woman who said it's really been a curse, <laughs> right? If you're living with pain and without any of your loved ones around you, it, it may be a curse. I went to – you mentioned, Dave. I went to Bulletproof Labs the other day in Santa Monica and we've got a podcast on, on that. What do you think about that way of life, the Bulletproof way of life? Well, besides the coffee and the fat in coffee. Which, uh, which is a big part of it. Which is a big part of it because uh, I'm not a fan of caffeine. And um, besides that, I love everything that Dave does. And I wrote a review for his book, Headstrong. Dave and I are friends. Dave came to our um, – not to our clinic, but he got a spec scan about 13 years ago. And it was completely a toxic-looking scan. And he found out he was exposed to mold. And he actually produced a documentary that's phenomenal called Moldy. So you can look it up online, Moldy. And uh, so I'm a huge fan and I love him personally. But the reason I'm not a fan of caffeine is it constricts blood flow to the brain. And anything that constricts blood flow to an organ prematurely ages the organ. And so if you have a cup of coffee a day, it's like not a big deal. And if you have a little butter in it, it's not a big deal unless the butter was raised with hormones and antibiotics. But there's so many other ways to have good energy. Uh, I'm just not a fan. Like I've never been a fan of alcohol because I have drunk brains. I have alcoholic brains. I have regular drinker brains and they all look terrible. Johns Hopkins did a study that said if you drink every day, you have a smaller brain. So the physical size of your brain is smaller. And I always argue, you know, when it comes to the brain, it's the only organ in your body where size actually does matter. Is that any alcohol at all? Well, so if you have one, two, maybe three glasses a week, it's not a big deal. But everyday drinking, it's a bad idea. And my wife's a nurse. And why do nurses put alcohol on your skin before they give you a shot? Because it kills the bugs. So here we are, back to bugs. That The 100 trillion bugs in your gut, is alcohol serving them or is it hurting them? And I would argue it's probably disrupting them and hurting them. Um, so all the benefits – but it has heart benefits. 
yeah, but so does green leafy vegetables. So do blueberries. So does dark chocolate. I mean, there's so many other ways to be healthy. Why go after the controversial things? I asked you uh, in terms of your long-term aspirations, you said your first thought was you want to outlive your critics. <laughs> do and, and I started by, and we addressed it, the, the criticism of what you do. Do you, you enjoy engaging in that debate? Do you feel it's important to address the points that critics make of you? Well, I think it's always important to try to understand what they're saying and think about it as I have for a long time. Now, initially, it was terrible for me because I had two flaws. I wanted people to like me and I don't like conflict and – so now people didn't like me and I'm in a war. Um, but after Andrew came into my office, he's someone I loved. He's my godson, my nephew. And I saw how critical the imaging was to the trajectory of the rest of his life. I'm in the war and I don't really care if you like me. If you're not looking at your patient's brains, what's the matter with you? Why would you be practicing 1840 medicine? And I'm not kidding when I say that. When Lincoln was depressed in 1840, how did his doctor diagnose him with melancholia? He talked to him. He looked at him. He looked for symptom clusters and then diagnosed and treated him. That is how psychiatric medicine is practiced in 2018, and I think it's insane. I don't really want to go down the road, but one of the I read this often in, in terms of the criticism of you, people very quickly will refer to how much money you're making out of this. And then I'm like, is, is this Russia? <laughs> I mean, where we live in America, if there's no margin, there's no mission, and it, it's just a disingenuous argument. Are, are all the people? Saying that, they don't take money from federal government. I don't take any money from the federal government. Are they taking money from insurance companies? I don't take any money from insurance companies. Um, the only people – how I make money is people find it a valuable service and they come and pay us. That's it. And so, yes, I guess if you get to the to the deepest, darkest part of the criticism, I'm selling something that, to take advantage of mentally ill people. So I guess that, that would be the most hurtful thing someone would say, except our patients are our biggest referral sources. Why have I seen patients from 120 countries and virtually none of my colleagues have? Right. And everywhere I go, I was at this event last night, as I mentioned, I, did, I couldn't have dinner because so many people came up to me and said, I brought my son to your clinic. You saved his life. Thank you so much. I mean, that's the cocaine we were talking about earlier that I get that keeps me engaged in what I do. Um, yeah. No, I love it. And you're expanding. You have a new clinic. We're talking in Los Angeles. You have a new clinic here. I do. In the San Fernando Valley and Encino, like a mile and a half from where I actually grew up. So a lot of deja vu for me. But it's our eighth clinic. And I'm only 25 percent of the world market for brain spec. Now, that's a lot for a small group like ours. But that means 75 percent of the medicine we use is done by other people. They do scans at Harvard and at UCLA and um, they just don't do the volume and they're not as noisy 
as I am, right? I have had, I'm working on my 13th show for public television. My shows have aired 90,000 times across North America. And so part of the criticism is anytime you become visible, who is it? Bradley Cooper just recently said, if you really want to feel badly about yourself, read about yourself on the internet. <laughs> on that note, Dr. Eamon, it's always fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter. And I'll include more details about Dr. Eamon in the show notes for this episode, LlamaPodcast.com. That's two L's in Llama, Llama, double L-A-M-A, podcast.com. You'll also find us in social media at Llama Podcast. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rud. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.